Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Reviews and Done. This is Garfield Bright from Shy, and you're now about to experience an interviewing style like no other. Here's your host, Derek Dunn. What's up, world? It's your man, Derek Dunn, back with another edition of what I like to call Throwback Album Reviews, a.k.a. Flashback album reviews. The album I'm looking at today is Sam Salter's 1997 album, It's On Tonight, released my sophomore year of high school. Now this joint, man, was some shit on here, man. I would've got in trouble back in the day if I would've had this as a a wee youngster, but we're gonna get into all that though. And my guest today to revive with this album is my man, Lawrence Worrell. AKA Law. So you guys know that I've interviewed Law in the past. You guys know that he's one of the most humblest, coolest, down to earth brothers that I've had the pleasure of interviewing. Not to mention he's also one hell of a musician. So welcome to the line, my man, my friend, just all around blessed brother, Lawrence Royal. Welcome to the line, sir. How you oh doing man, I'm I'm doing great. Thanks for that intro, man. That make, makes the Brooklyn brother feel good, man. I I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, man, glad I to be here man. with you again, man. Everything going in the world, man. You know, even even though we're distant, you know, we as not just as men, but we as black mm-hmm. men, yeah, lift each other up as much as possible. And sometimes, just a simple compliment to your brother, a simple how you doing? It's a simple you're doing a hell of a job. <laughs> Go yeah, along. exactly. Goes a long way. Yes, it does. It certainly does. Absolutely. All right, so man, before we get into this uh, album, you know, I want to big up a little bit more. So my brother, you know, my friend, I understand you just dropped a little a little piece of music yourself on all streaming platforms called "She Can Get It." And you yeah, know, us us adults, you know, we know what it is. But you know, it, 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 it's, it's it's so funny you said that because I done a couple of interviews and that's the question that they were trying to ask <laughs> for the long some people just didn't know but I but, but the first thing I said I'm like well the grown and sexy pretty much know what that means if you if you've been if you've been around like we have you you pretty much know what what that phrase means but um but yeah um you know it's doing incredible of course you know um it features the legendary Jelly Bean Johnson and Monty Moore of the time, my, my, my big uncles from Minneapolis, the legends, and of course, um, Tony M from New Power Generation. So um, it, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it's actually Jelly Bean's single. I'm just, I, I, but I wrote and produced it. So it's particularly mine too, but this is really um, gonna be on Jelly Bean's upcoming album. I just was glad that he liked the song enough to wanted to put it on his record and, and, and play on it and you know bring Monty with him. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm really, really happy. It's, it's doing excellent right now. Dope, man. And shout out to you. Shout out to Jelly Bean. Shout out to Monty. Shout out to any artist out there who is keeping music going because in the age of the COVID, y'all know, man, we've been in this unfortunate circumstance for the past shit going on four or five months. So yeah. There's no excuses why if you're chasing a dream, you shouldn't be out here putting out music, just grinding. You know, yeah. Grinding, like my man Law said. Mm-hmm. So you guys can pick that up on um all streaming platforms. Once again, it's called She Can Get It. 
All right, so Law and I are gonna get into this album by this yes. very talented brother that, did, that didn't get his just due when it was released. Now, Whew, you tell the truth. <laughs> 97, um, sophomore year of high school. I, I remember the lead single, After 12 Before 6. I yeah. was 16. So my man, we're, 97, where are you at? Still in high school or had, had you already graduated? In 97, I was, um, let's see. I graduated in '94 from high school, so I got I got I got some years on you. So '97, um, I was in Kingsborough College. I was just getting underway with everything and just kind of plotting how I was going to get into the industry and meet my idol and my mentor who changed my life forever, the legendary George Clinton. So, and it would happen like a year later, thanks to Gabe Gonzalez from Enemy Squad, and then I would end up becoming a full-fledged P-Funk member. But in '97. I was still in Kingsborough College working on my um, journalism scholarship, doing things of that nature. And basically, I just used the journalism stuff to get into, um, to, to, to get into shows for free, <laughs> basically. All, yeah. all my favorite artists who were performing and doing shows. As a matter of fact, that's how I saw the Home Again tour, actually. That's the first three, the first three, Home, Again, the first three Home Again shows. It was because of my, my press pass that I got through Kingsborough College. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. Uh... That's what I do now. So what do you recall about um, Sam's debut back in 97, just since you were in college? Man, listen, I, I was blown away. This is, you know, not, people don't talk about this enough, but between the years of 95 and 97, there were a plethora of new school and even old school artists that were putting out incredible material with incredible production and the thing i remember about sam the first time hearing about him of course through the event of what what LaFace records was trying to do is signing new artists that had the potential um to write great songs and still be an artist themselves and of course without question um sam was one of those guys that we that we often heard in the market so i remember seeing the sampler for um it's on tonight i remember i'm um, going to Bordeaux's record shop and you know i would always i was staying there for like 20 minutes you know, just going through records, deciding what I'm going to buy, running my mouth with them, the owners, because I was real cool. It was like a big family there. And I remember, I was like, no, y'all have any new samplers that's coming out? And I remember they gave me Sam Sam's um sampler. So I was already blown away. Like I said, I already had been hearing about it, but I hadn't really heard anything just yet. And then when I heard the sampler for um, It's On Tonight, I was like, yeah, okay, this this kid got it. I'm like, this, this, is, some, this is some new stuff here, you know, because like I said, between that time period, 95, 97, it was a lot of great artists. And it's crazy because some of them we wouldn't hear from from a long time. And unfortunately, Sam being one of them because his second album got shelved. We, we, we would never hear from him again outside of a couple of one-offs. And, you know, artists like Mona Lisa. Remember her? Mona Lisa yep. had a, a dope. That whole album was dope. And then we didn't hear from her again. And then... People like Lionel Richie came back after a 10-year hiatus with, to me, his best work, which is Louder Than Words. And, of course, New Edition's Home Again, which is my favorite New Edition album. Um, their best, in my opinion, and their biggest selling record on a factual level. So it's like um, that time period. So Sam found a good space in between all of that in between 96 and 97, like just coming into that whole territory of what R&B was going. Yeah, and I think what, what Sam's issue may have been Looking back now, you know, as a grown-ass man, I think that his voice was kind of like Johnny Gill. He was just such a strong singer. Very and mature, yeah. The market wasn't able to handle 
somebody that strong, so young, and he was on the face. And Sam had to compete with, you know, a youngster by the name of Usher Raymond. So, <laughs> so I think that uh, Inter- I'm, interesting. Unfortunately, I think that the face put all their promo into um, Usher, which is you know understandable which because sense, it was, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it was Usher. So whereas the demographics, Sam should have been, um, in my opinion, he should have been catered to say urban AC crowds like the our parents type of grown music. and sexy. Yeah, and not chasing the the youth the young crowd. Yeah, youth market. But folks, yeah. we're gonna get into it, and um, you know, Law and I are gonna give you our thoughts. You know how it goes. We're gonna listen to the album. At the end of the thing, we'll both give a final grade, and we'll give our top three. Up first is your face. Yes. album it's on tonight now this joint was um to me nice grown and sexy track before you know we said grown and sexy bluesy jazz cafe type of absolutely type of joint it's something that i could easily see him um being in the club with maybe like a three-man band and just vibing out so solid yeah. track great opener law what you think yeah man you just you took the words out of my mouth i mean you know the the whole it, it, it has a George Benson overtone, you know, to it, which is at, at that time it was perfect for what the vibe was because in 97, 98, around that time, the jazz thing was still prevalent in R&B. Like certain people knew how to adapt to it. Some people knew how to manipulate it real great. And obviously from this production, you know, like Sam knew how to make that apply to what was going on, despite the fact that, you know, the record didn't get pushed the way that it should have got pushed. But the people who got it, like me and you and a few other guys, you know, when you hear your face, you're able to hear that R&B and jazz conduit kind of work with each other. So, absolutely. 
and this one was actually produced by a young Tricky Stewart, who we all know oh, later go on to uh, work with Rihanna and The Dream and just numerous. It's deeper than that. Tamar. <laughs> you know. Tamar yeah, so numerous Wayne. folks. So shout out to Tricky Stewart. Tricky, yeah. Tricky don't get enough credit, man. Well, you know, I'm trying to get Tricky on the podcast, man, because Tricky got some shit. Tricky. Yeah, you Tricky got a man. Listen, that's that's cat. That's Mr. Catalog for real. Like tr- people yeah. don't know, Tricky's one of the illest in the game. Period. And Tricky been doing. Tricky was doing stuff. Yeah, now it's back like '94, like '90. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, way back in the day. And you're right. We don't, we don't, we don't put enough respect on uh, Tricky's name. Shout out to Tricky, man. Wherever you're at, brother, keep doing your thing. Absolutely. All right. Up next is going to be another Tricky Sewer production. After 12, before 6. takes me uh takes me back one of my favorites from the album grown man song once again um as strong as sam is vocally and i'm sure law can attest this being a musician and a performer himself sam held back on this joint but he still killed it that's how strong this this brother's vocals were so another dope track of mine another favorite one another tricky tour production it's on you law what you think it, well, it shows balance, that's for sure. I mean, I think, you know, even in, in powerful as one could be in their singing, there's still levels to it. And Sam, obviously, as a, as a young vet, understood that in terms of knowing when to hold back, but still be strong enough to, to, to make it happen on a, on a song like this. And then going back to what we were saying about Tricky, the crazy thing about this record is that it has the feel of another Tricky Stewart production, which was one of my favorite songs off the classic 
severely underrated Braxton So Many Ways album, which Tricky produced the majority of that record. And they had a song called Where's the Good and Goodbye. It has that same kind of feel. I can hear those tricky nuances on the keyboard level in this particular record. So that's why it's so funny when I'm listening to it, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely tricky because there's a couple of trademarks of his in this record that I've heard in some of his early, earlier records from that time period, like 96, 97. So, yeah. All right, folks, once again, my man Law and your man Derek Dunn from Reason Dunn, we're reviewing Sam Salter's song tonight. We're going to keep moving to track number three. It's on tonight. All day long till the early morning. You got your mind on him. Who's got your mind on you? When worry creeps on you, I'm digging on you. So crazy, sexy, cool. Girl, he must be a Self-titled track, it's on tonight. Now, this joint, man, it's one of the few up-tempo songs on this on this album. Now, that's not a bad thing because as you guys hear the album as we move along, you'll see that the ballads of slow jams are so quality that Sam really didn't have to do anything up-tempo because he was to me he was a balladeer. But yeah, mm -hmm. taking a break. Um, nice up-tempo track. Nice. You know, stepping track, nice groove to it. It's uh, something that probably he probably wouldn't have done live. And even like I said, even though sequencing wise, it's kind of right in the middle of the ballad heavy album. It's still a dope track. Another tricky Stewart production. Um, surprisingly, there's not a uh, rapper on the song. <laughs> you would have thought with Sam being on the face, they might have thrown Outcast or the Goody Mob or just somebody only just because, but. Uh -huh. So, you know, shout out to Sam, shout out to Tricky. I'm gonna work that track, another dope one. Why, what you think? Yeah, man. Actually, this was one of the top five that I actually liked um, when, I, when I first heard the album. This is definitely one of the ones that grabbed me because I'm, I'm the kind of guy, you know, I'm a fan first. Even as a quality musician and artist, I'm a fan of the people who I love or people who I'm drawn to musically, if, if, especially if they're new school at the time, which Sam was. And this was definitely one of the songs that definitely pulled me in even more to, to what he was doing. 
So, um, yeah, all around, man. Like, you know, you can't beat quality production by Tricky. And Sam, as a great writer and as an artist, it's a great combination. He knows whatever, he, he knows exactly what to do on every track that's given to him, be it a ballet or an up-tempo. And that's rare in this business, that you got a lot of R&B guys that can do that. All right, folks, we're going to keep it moving. Up next is one of my favorite songs on this album, and probably one of my favorite songs from 97, Give Me My Baby. Oh, wow. chicks like brother what is she doing to you like that's how that's how you know you got a good ass woman uh yeah hell yeah he's saying you can take the car you can have the house take all the other chicks i'm paying for everybody's nails but it's (laughs) all listen listen it's all look i mean look the guy that signed him said it best with as soon as i get home from work i don't got to say nothing else after that shit so it's pretty much like the standard of, of letting it be known just how far a guy's willing to go for the woman that he loves or whatever she's giving to him on any level. It's, these kind of songs are the product of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, that, that joint, man, 20, 20, shit, 23 years later, still goes crazy. in, still, still one of my favorite songs of that year. He sang that joint with so much emotion, and if, if you guys go and hear the album, and I hope you do, like later in the song, when he starts hitting them riffs, and when it gets to the bridge and all that, man, he, whoo, 
Sam really should have been a bigger beast. star, man. Yeah, because that beast, shit, man. yeah. Incredible song. One of my favorites. Um, Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wish you guys could share the rest of that uh, joint. Definitely baby face influence, but surprisingly, face didn't have anything to do with that song. That was all Kenny. Of course. Case Move, Tom Gray, Sam, and Mr. Daryl Young. So shout out to those three, man, for writing an amazing, just pleading girl like song like man i can't tell you how many chicks i use that song on <laughs> in my single days to you know kind of get my way with them you know mm-hmm. shout out to the ones i didn't get but you know i found my found my queen but yeah man that shit, hey woo. hey you found the queen man so that that's the end of the day <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the leading up to it with just journeys upon themselves that's <laughs> yeah that joint of the single days man it came in handy all right, so we're gonna keep it moving to track number five. There you are, another another favorite of mine. Oh wow, yeah, I love this one too. Ooh. Ooh. Like a candle with a flame that never dies. The good and bad, you've been by my side, my side. And when the world outside was feeling trouble and kind, you were there to pick me up. Oh, how I need your smile. That was track number five, There You Are, from Mr. Sam Salter. This joint was produced and written by Laney Stewart. Um, Law, do you know any relation to Tricky Stewart? Yeah, I think that's his, either his cousin or his brother. One of the two. I, they're definitely related, though. That much I do know. Dope production, um, beautiful ballad, not a slow jam, actual ballad. Mm-hmm. Um, my novice ears think this would probably be a song he would probably do live with a piano accompaniment because it's very yeah. um simple, almost reminiscent of uh Jam and Lewis's piano ballads, where it's just it's, it's a simple song that anyone can sing. And again, you know, he sings it so laid back, he doesn't give you the full bravado in his vocals, but it's still just a beautiful wedding song, like a simple song, ice track. Wow, what you think? Yeah, man, it just you know the the again the balance. I, I always say when it comes to R and B records, from a male or female perspective, the balance should always be what it's supposed to be, and that's pretty much if you have like the the right production and the the right vocals to fit along with it, and let the tempo kind of set its own pace. A lot of times, songs don't have that kind of identity, but 
Sam is already showing just how much of a pro he is at jumping on anything. And it's like with this record, it was like, oh, wow, like he coming through with some bangers. I think by the time we get to, you know, track five and everything, like it's, it's you know, in my opinion, I think that's the best when any artist kind of establishes himself. And every now and then you'll have like two songs, like, oh, that one wasn't that good, that wasn't that. But Sam was consistent for those first four or five songs right there, you know? Yep, and we're gonna keep moving with the next song. Another Lanesure production, I Love You Both. Track number six, I Love You Both. And this joint, another great song, um, but it, it goes back to what Law and I were saying earlier on when we started this interview. Now, great song, great message. But at the time when Sam came out, unfortunately, Sam was 22 when he dropped his album and when he dropped this song. And mm-hmm. stuff that he was talking about at 22 really wasn't going to appeal to the demographic that, you know, he should have been chasing or that LaFace should have, you know, been, I guess, marketing towards. Cause some, something like I Love You Both is something you probably think from a Gerald LeVert, the OJs, to sing. Because, again, you know, you're 22, you're supposed to be enjoying life, finding yourself, and not trying to really, you know, become a surrogate parent or step up as a man. You know, and again... No, no shade, but it's a very mature song, and it's almost like it's too, too old, if I, if you will, for a singer like Sam. But I mean, he, but vocally he killed it. It's just that you know it's a bit stronger. Paul, what you think? Yeah, I agree with you. It's just, it's the weird part of everything. I think we was talking about earlier. Um, as much as credit doesn't like to be given to what we call the tastemakers or the gate makers of this industry, 
I think that this is where A&Rs really serve a purpose, at, at least the ones from this era. I'm not going to say the recent, of the recent 10 years, but like definitely around this particular time, this is when the A&R still matter. This is when records were being properly promoted to the right demographic with the appeal of a crossover, whether it was an R&B crossover or a R&B record crossing over to pop. And, you know, with a song like, like I Love You Both because of his age demographic, it definitely would have been harder to sell. Perfect example, remember when Usher had a song called um, um, Who's the Mac or there's something about the Mac. That's the first time I heard Usher. And that's the reason why that single didn't do particularly good either. And it wasn't because it wasn't good and that Usher didn't have the vocals on it. It's just that nobody was gonna take that seriously. Even when he did Can You Get With It, which was produced by the great Devante from Jodeci, that's actually one of my top, that's in my top five favorite Usher records. But even that record didn't really hit big until he did the My Way album because I think it was the same problem that we're talking about with Sam. You know, just the whole maturity level. Because even at 22, 24, it's almost like, yeah, but like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I agree with you. Yeah, again, you know, I don't, um, I don't knock anybody that um, steps up to be, you know, a father to a young lady that has, you know, a kid. I mean, more power to you. Just that at that time, you know, 97, 22, you're not going to be taken too serious, unfortunately. But we're going to keep it moving. Up next is Show You That I Care, written by the another highly underrated artist, my man, Tony Rich. Yes. Wow. Too much with this album now this joint right here um not a personal favorite great song though but it's not a personal favorite this mm -hmm. one to me though is was taylor made pop radio oh yeah and i'm gonna 
had say the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or 90 Degrees time this song, it would have been huge because it's definitely tailor made pop radio. True. Like it's just, I mean, Law as a musician, you can hear it hear it in the production. I mean, it's so simple. It's well, it's again, Tony. It's, it's Tony Rich. I yeah. mean, people, <laughs> I mean, if you know anything about Tony Rich, I mean, I always say that, you know. If Babyface wouldn't have cultivated that style first, that still would have been within the realms of that type of song that yeah. could have easily went to Babyface. Tony Rich could have easily kept it for himself. Or um, for a matter of phrase speaking, you're right, like the Backstreet Boys in sync. Matter of fact, I think 90 Degrees would have probably been more suited for this. Yeah, I might say, like, great song, just... um. A little bit too safe, if you will, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. Not, not a personal favorite. Great vocal, but, you know, it's it's a very safe choice and a little bit of a filler. Sorry, we're going to keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> Up next is a song written by a very young um, Robin Thicke. That's Every Time a Car Drives By. Robin Thicke was messing with Paula Patton. They hadn't gotten married yet, but I, th- I think they were dating. So, like, yeah. yo, what was she doing to these cats when they wrote a song like that? Now, we've all been there. Like, yo, every time a car drives by, I'm thinking about you. Like, so you mean to tell me if you say a hoopty, you're thinking about your lady? Like, come on now. <laughs> but real talk, though, good song. You know, all jokes aside, we've all been there. Um, to me, Another safe choice, some filler, great vocal, but, you know, again, it's a filler song, one that I skip sometimes when I'm listening to this album. Again, <laughs> Law, what you think? 
Um, yeah, pretty much. It's it's basically um another another Robin Thicke song that didn't make his, the final cut of his album. <laughs> That's the way I've always seen certain songs if they didn't sell them or give them away to other artists in particular. And this is during the earlier stages of what Robin Thicke was trying to convey in finding his own artistry. So you know, but I agree with you on the same thing. It's like then at this point it starts to become more like Ballad City, then we start to lose the balance a little bit. Now it's becoming too much of that sort of thing. So, you know? Yeah, and no shade to uh, Robin Hawks. I mean, Robin, before Robin became Robin, he was an amazing writer, hell of a writer. And if you guys go back and look at some of your albums from the 90s, Robin Thicke played a part in a lot of songs you love that were in the 90s. So yeah. shout, out to, shout out to Robin Thicke. Uh, no shout out for me. I, 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 I got <laughs> I think you already know why, but you know, for me, like I, I will say the earliest parts of what he did in, in terms of his um, songwriting and musicianship, I'm not going to ever take that away from him. But um, after Blur Lines and, and the fiasco behind that, which did damage, and thank God that my friends, Norna and Jan, were able to profit and benefit off of what went down. I, I lost all respect for him as an artist. Oh, no, no, so. no, 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 we can, uh, I, you know, man, like, you know, I, I know you, it's like, Totally, uh, totally open, totally um, free thing. I will say part of my language, and, and no offense to Robin, but Robin did become a fuckboy. Yeah, he did. He, he, pretty much. He became a fuckboy, and the stuff aside with um, Paula, you know, not my business, not my place to say anything, but based on how he was and the audience that he had, the success that he got with Blurred Lines totally, I think, off track a little bit went to his head because for, well, him, to be that, for him for him to be that talented there was no excuses for that goddamn Paula album yeah and put it bluntly look it, it still proves my point he made a whole album about her and still didn't get her back <laughs> <laughs> that's another conversation for another day <laughs> shut up <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right, though. It's like... I laugh you know, my ass off. I laugh. Talent, I laugh. As talented as Robin is, it, there's no excuse for him to have an album that bad. And I don't know if you saw my... I'm going to go off track again really quick, but just like with Jagged Edge, I'm surprised they haven't sent their goons for me yet, but their latest album is some trash. And again... I could have told you that. I ain't even know, to it. I, I, I don't care... You know, I mean, I care, but no, I don't care because it's no excuse for you to have 31 songs on an album and there's only four or five good tracks. That's inexcusable for any artist. It, I mean, it's just, it's inexcusable for any artist. And come on, fellas, come on. Yeah, I, that's In why. Your 40s. I, 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 you know, and it's so crazy. I mean, call me what you want to, but that's why I didn't even bother to listen to it. I already knew it. Just hearing you tell me that, you just confirmed it for me. And I trust what? your instinct because I, I just, the last two Jagged Edge, Jagged Edge albums were corny. So I already knew like some things, and this is no disrespect to them. Some groups are just not built that way. There's a season in that where some groups have the ability to make great records and they make them regardless of whether it sells gazillion copies or don't, but we can still talk about it and be like, that's a great album. I already knew. I didn't even have to even put he thought into it. I already knew. So you just confirmed it. <laughs> well, I mean, before we move on, I mean, here's my thing, right? Jagged Edge has been in the game since 97, right? You mm -hmm. guys have released 
10 albums. More, more albums than Jodeci. More albums than New Edition. More albums yeah. than Drew Hill. Probably second to Boyz II Men in terms of groups that came out in the 90s, group-wise. You mm-hmm. cats are in your 40s. Why do you have songs called Math, Juice, Cuffs? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, come on now. And, and again, <laughs> you guys, you guys are in your 40s, and you already have a solid fan base because your 20 year plus career shows that. So yeah. you don't have to cater to these young cats. You got hits, yeah. You got when you got hits and prestige, you really don't have to cater to anybody. That's the Folks, way I'm always gonna look at it. You know, I didn't mean I didn't mean to go on a tangent, but my man Law's a realist like I am, and it's just it's painful when you have a talented artist like Robin Thicke, like a Jagged Edge, that can do quality music, your fans will rock with you, your fans will follow you, but you're putting out that boo-boo. So, yeah, you know, we're going to get back to Sam, because I'm, you know, because Law and I will be here 3 o'clock this morning just, you know, roasting folks. So let's, let's, let's keep moving with Sam. Up next is another favorite track of mine on this album, The Magic of Tricky Stewart on Thinking and Trippin'. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of safe tracks. Um, dope track. Shows the genius of Tricky Stewart. Truth be told, um, I could honestly see the Dream doing something like this in today's music in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, the production is very reminiscent of the Dream. Um, simple melody, nice little reggae influence in it. Uh, solid track. Law, what you think? Um. It's one of my least favorite tracks because, um, oh, yeah, because honestly, that's to me in this record, he played it too safe too because it's almost like there's no real complete thought in the song after we're done thinking and tripping. And the funny thing about this is that I peeped the Roy Ayer sample too. Like I, that's the only part I like that that what Tricky did with it. He chopped it up to make it fit. That's searching. So I like the way he used that part, but um, I just, it was one of those songs I was like, ah, okay, I'll skip that one. 
All right, that's Professor Law giving y'all a history lesson. All right, up next is It Took a Song. I'm sorry. Oh, another safe track um great vocal by sam safe mm -hmm. track definitely and it goes back to our point a bit earlier now for all we know sam could have been a mature 22 year old i mean i'm i'm an old soul but at that age you know it's not really um hitting for what uh I say this, what I'm say. It, it reminds me of the episode of Fresh Prince. Will is gonna Will tells Lisa that he loves her, and Uncle Phil says, "You know all those love songs they play on the radio. They start to make sense. That's how you know you're in love." And I think with what they were trying to go for, it was just a song was a bit too mature for a 22 year old. Law, what you think? Um, I wouldn't say so much that it was too mature for him. I just more so feel like, again, he tried to bring it up tempo with thinking and tripping, but I think he realized in that particular space is only working for a minute, so we got to go back to our safety net, which is the ballad that has the same flow that everybody was doing in 97. You could definitely yeah. tell this record was recorded at that particular time. Um, but, but that one was more better than, than a couple of the other ones that have that same sort of theme to it. This one was a little stronger, but it still was just like, okay, it's strong, but it, it not quite missed. It didn't quite hit the mark, like right there, you know? Yep. Up next, On My Heart, another Sam and Lady Stewart production. In you, I have it alone. 
safe and it gets overly safe towards the end uh not much to say about this one not one of my favorites law what you think can you hear me yeah 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 it's just uh, that part right there. The minute the beat comes on, and then by the time the harmony's rolling, I'm like, yeah, this. They was trying to go for that boy Cement money. I get it. I ain't mad at you know. You know, at the time, that's you know, boy yeah. Cement was still at the height of their powers around this time. So, um, yeah, it, it just you know, the minute I heard, I'm just like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's um again, Sam. Sam has an incredible voice. Like, yes, in, absolutely, in, in, incredible voice. Yes, he does. And Sam is kind of like a young Johnny Good where you had to have quality material to balance him out. And this song right here is just, it's, it's safe. And it's probably something that he, he could sing with his eyes closed. But again, it's overly safe. And to the mainstream consumer, you know, it won't be anything special. They'll probably, you know, consider it boring. But... Mm -hmm. A person like me, that's into bounce, into slow jams, you know, I could care less. But um, you know, definitely not one of the one of the better ones, but still, still a decent song. Yeah, All right. absolutely. Another unsung writer produced this produced this next track. Could have been me, and that's my man, my boy, Gordon Chambers, my big bro, Gordon. Yeah, oh my God. Yep. If you folks have never heard Gordon's uh, solo albums as well yeah, as just yeah. Gordon's pin game. Gordon is a bad boy. Just incredibly, bad. beyond bad. Incredibly, incredibly talented. Very humble. Has a beautiful spirit. Um, one of my first interviews was actually Gordon Chambers. So very, very talented brother. Just beautiful spirit. So shout out to Jordan Gordon Chambers. And up next, it's gonna be me. It's a remix. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
this vibe it's up tempo but it's not too up tempo just a nice cool out track i mean this is a track where i would just fire up the grill you know throw up throw on the cd player if it was the 90s and just chill i mean a cool summertime vibe mm-hmm. kind of like the cousin to the opening track with that smoky yeah. jazz cafe type of vibe mm-hmm. so yeah, definitely a strong song. Definitely one that I would have pushed as a single. Law, what you think? Also, shout out to the co-writer of this song by the name of Robbie Neville. I don't know if you remember Robbie Neville from back in the day. He had a hit record called Say La Vie. And Robbie, um, one of the baddest white guys in the game that very much reminiscent of of a Daryl Hall, you know, very soulful, but still had the rock chops, but still had the R&B chops, kind of like a Michael Cimbello. Um, Robbie Neville, you know, even though he only had that one hit record, he went on to co-write or write a lot of hit songs for a lot of different artists. So of course to see his name on it made my day when I first had the album. So this was definitely in my, my top five of the songs that I love on this record. All right, folks, now, Lock, I remember, um, Back in the 90s, <laughs> R&B singers would always do a remix of their debut song. Now, and it was only one of two ways to get the remix. You either had to buy the album, it'd yeah. be the very last song, mm-hmm. or you'd have to buy the single. The maxi, the maxi single. <laughs> the maxi single. Or if you were in New York, you would actually get the single from a street team just walking around. Yep. This is <laughs> they true. Just, very true. Mm-hmm. It was, they would just hand you out a CD, and like, you, know, you would never... Um, a lot of that stuff, me me being in the D.C. area, that stuff would rarely make its way down here. All right, so we're going to keep it moving. And the last track is After 12 Before 6, the Ghetto Fabulous Remix. It's a remix. <sighs> Sam Salter. Get your back up off the wall. Dance. Come on. Get your back up off the wall. Dance. Come on. Get your back up off the wall. Dance. Come on. Get your back up off the wall. Dance. Come on. Get your back up off the wall. Dance. Come on. How you gonna leave if you didn't give Sam a dance? Get your back up off the wall. 
Sam's album with the Cool in the Gang sample. Now, I like this joint myself, personally. Um, I thought it was a nice way to close the album out. I do think that had the single, had his single, actually before six caught on a little bit stronger, I could have seen this being played in a club, uh, definitely being played, um, you know, club, barbecues, whatever. Truth be told, it might have been a wise choice, in my in my opinion, to push the remix as a single first, and then have the ballad on the album. Because again, Sam's album dropped in the fall of '97, and that remix, that vibe, would have been the perfect vibe for summer '97, going back to school, you know, high school for me. So, get album close out, dope remix. Law, what you think? Um, honestly, the remix is corny as hell. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it's like, ah, eh, okay. Um, you know, at that point, you know, if you're going to do cool in the games, get down on it, it had to have more. I, I, I see what they were trying to do. I mean, it's great attempt, but I, out of all the banging remixes that came out in 97, that it wouldn't have had a chance in hell. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> That's actually the, it's actually the worst song on the album, just to be honest. That's why you're my people, man. It's all love. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's Law's thoughts. All right, so uh, Law, give me your top three and give me a final grade. Um, without question, um, your face after twelve before six, and definitely um, give me my baby. Those are my top three. So overall grade for this album, without question, would definitely be a strong C plus. All right, so me, same top three. Your face after twelve before six. And they give me my baby. My grade's a little bit higher. Um, I'm gonna give it a uh, a B, and on, only because I can let it play from start to finish. Now there are there are some songs that I do skip when I you know when I, whenever I whenever I revisit this joint. But I mean it's it's still a hell of a debut. It's just that um absolutely absolutely Sam got lost in the shuffle as as we alluded to earlier, and mm-hmm. it's a shame because he's he's an amazing vocalist and he never really got. His just do, and again, I mean, the face just—they pushed Usher. It was—it was nothing he could, uh, nothing he could really um, do. And as my man Law said earlier, 
there's so many dope singers and so many talented vocalists that dropped around this time that it was going to be hard for anybody to um, really get their shine on and kind of compete because, I mean, everybody was making quality music, and that's why we're so big on 90s R&B because it was a great time to be alive, and Mm R&B was actually strong. So shout out to Sam, wherever you're at, brother. Thank you for making a debut, a quality debut. Now, coming up next, um, I'm going to be revisiting Camp Love's debut. I'm going to be looking Woo! at yeah, going to be looking at Sons of Funk's only album on Filament uh, oh, Records. <laughs> uh, what else? I may. I'm waiting yeah. on. A, <laughs> I'm waiting on a certain. I'm waiting on a certain individual to get back to me. I'm gonna shout him out, uh, Robert Smith, the Any Historian, so we can do a new edition album. Oh, wow, that's my that's my dude right there. But uh, yeah, so more to come. I hope you guys enjoy listening to Throwback, a.k.a. Flashback Album Reviews. Sam's album is available on all streaming platforms. And Law, once again, let the folks know where they can get your single and where they can find you on social media. Absolutely. Well, the name of the single is called She Can Get It. It features Jelly Bean Johnson and Monty Moore of Mars Day and the Time, Tony M of the New Power Generation, and it's available on all streaming platforms. Your iTunes, Spotify, um, title amazon and, and all that other good shit um my social medias are twitter at planet 12 law instagram at planet 12 law and facebook.com slash law planet 12 oh and please please i highly urge you folks to check out my brother's instagram interviews law is not only a musician not only a musical lover but law is actually a hell of an interviewer and you know I'm not going to say no names, but in a time when people are interviewing and all that, a lot of these interviewers do piss poor jobs with their interviewing. They ask the same standard questions, but Law's not like that. Law's actually a music historian, a music lover, and he's actually going to, you know, make it interesting. So check his brother's Instagram out. I mean, he's interviewed Nokio from Drew Hill, Case, Vanessa Williams, just, man, who else have you interviewed, man? Just let these people know who else you've interviewed. Um, we had Big Daddy Kane, my big bro, um, definitely. Um, Spinderella, we had Cool from Cool and the Gang. Um, and a few other people I can't name off the top, but definitely in that continuum of, of, of um, a plethora of artists who, who have given so much to the culture. And we wanted to make sure they had the, the platform and they could totally be themselves and be raw if they wanted to, be straight and narrow as they wanted to. But um, that's just to name a few. We, we've done quite a bit. And I'm sure there's more to come. Oh, yeah. More than you more than you would believe. All right. Well, once again, this has been Derek Dunn with Reviews and Done. Look out for the next album review. And as always, I'm ending with a quote. And let's get something from my man, Curtis Mayfield. Our purpose is to educate as well as to entertain. Until Amen. the next time, done out. What up, y'all? This is Mike from the infamous group 112 ATL Spinals, and thanks for listening to Reviews and Done with my man, Derek Dunn. If you like this show and want to know more, check out his website, reviewsanddone.net.